This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. You may have heard about this over the weekend. Hawaiian residents experienced a false alert notifying them of a nuclear missile uh, over the weekend. Uh, While they were notified 10 minutes later, uh, I think it was older than that, a little later than that, wasn't it? Uh, That the alert was an accident. Many, uh, and of course, a false alarm. Many panicked. Uh, Is this a sign that we need to uh, pay more attention to when this sort of thing happens? Everyone's saying, well, what about a fail-safe system? Uh, And I guess now they have two people in charge of making this decision instead of one. It was somebody accidentally hit the wrong button, so to speak, uh, kind of thing. But what it did was it reminded, I think, a lot of people that uh, in Hawaii that they were just simply not ready. And what do we do when something like this happens? Now, thank goodness this was a false alarm. Um, but are we ready for when these things uh, start to happen or do happen? And uh, I think this uh, latest mistake sort of points out that perhaps we're not. Let's bring in Jeff Gill, Deputy Director of Systems Readiness Disaster Management, Red Cross Canada, and is on the line with us now. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this today. Thanks, Scott. So uh, your thoughts about what happened in Hawaii, uh, obviously uh, lots of panic and such and something that we uh, try to avoid, but what did it tell us about uh, our readiness? I think uh, to start, I think as you mentioned, Scott, a lot of the concern came from the fact that there was a a bit of an absence or a gap in the time that uh, there was a response from government authorities from the time the alert came out and the time it was kind of rescinded. Because one of the things we promote, obviously, when something's happening or about to happen, is that you look to government authorities and trusted sources to get your information. And based on that information, uh, you can make your decisions on the actions you're going to take. So uh, we're getting conflicting times. Was it 10 minutes? I've heard up to 40 minutes before people really got the message that this was a false alarm. Yeah, I've read I've read the uh, conflicting reports as well, and I, I'm not going to presume what happened or didn't. Uh, but I do know that probably shortly after the initial alert went out, that people were looking for that kind of guidance. And that's that's not to say um, it, it happens everywhere else. The, most places, from my personal experience, emergency management authorities are on top of these things. So uh, we still strongly encourage folks to check with government authorities and trusted sources following these kinds of things. So it's not just about, obviously, the warning. It's people coming back and getting information to do as a result, or what to do as a result of that, which is important. That's right. That's right. So, you know, with the Red Cross, emergency preparedness is something we actively promote, as does every other emergency management department, uh, municipally, provincially, and federally. So to that end, uh, families, uh, individuals should understand what the risks are in their community, they should have a plan. They should also have a kit. And I could speak extensively in all those areas, but those are the three core areas where folks can help to prepare themselves before these types of events. Uh, did this situation in Hawaii uh, expose that that, in fact, is not the case? We are not ready even when one of these comes across as, as a false alarm? Well, that I, I can't say so much. We have our own types of alerts and drills, as we have in Canada. Even if you look at the West Coast, they do tsunami types of drills quite frequently. Uh, what is known, and uh, this would be corroborated by others, is that individuals probably aren't as prepared as they should be in their households. So, for example, does your family or household have a plan? Do you know your safe spaces? Are you ready for 72 hours and beyond to be ready to be self-sufficient? All right, so let's, let's, a, let's talk a little sure. bit about that. Uh, where do we start? What, what should we, where do we start when we're constructing something like this? What do we do? What, what sort of plan? Uh, what do we take? Kit? All that kind of stuff. 
For sure. So the step before that actually is to understand the risks for your area. So specific areas have common risks that others would have as well. But uh, say you live in an area close to where forests are, you could expect likely for forest fires to happen. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand what those are and not only be prepared to do the general things ready, but maybe something specific for that. So if it's a forest, well, hey, you might want to have uh, cleared some of your brush around the area of your home. You might want to have masks in your kit. But the first step is knowing the risks before, say, building your plan and building your kit. So what sort of, so, so we uh, say we've, uh, y- you know, no real risk, just a generic uh, suburban neighborhood, so to speak. What should we have? What should we do? Sure thing. So all of this uh, that I'm going to talk about is expanded in much greater detail on redcross.ca, but really briefly, uh, two major components, making a plan, so understanding the safe spaces in your home and around it, what's your evacuation plan, things like knowing your neighbor, knowing your family contacts so that you're ready when this kind of thing happens, because of course, when it happens, that's when the kind of anxiety sets in and the butterflies in your stomach kind of kind of uh, flutter about and you're kind of wanting to have that touch base that foundation so the plan is that that touch point to help calm you down so you have that information taking it a step further that's where you also want to have a kid in your household and this is where statistics will likely prove that uh, not a high percentage of households have these kids so in other words having your water your non-perishable food with your can opener having your flashlight with your batteries and then other things that you might not think about perhaps like money, small bills, you have that to be able to sustain yourself in in case um, of an online failure of some kind, or copies of all your documents, birth certificates, the things in your wallet, that kind of thing, in case your wallet gets lost due to an evacuation. Uh, You bring up uh, the online aspect. Uh, One of the situations uh, with what happened in Hawaii, uh, obviously we now live in a digital age. Everybody's got their phone attached to their body in some some way. Uh, The system became overwhelmed. Uh, So I think a lot of us are just assuming as long as we got our device, we're we're fine. But that may not necessarily be uh, that helpful if the system's overwhelmed. You're absolutely right, because we can actually overwhelm it ourselves, because when things happen, um, studies have shown that uh, cell towers and other systems tend to get overloaded. So you might lose service to that, end, and then you're relying back to more traditional means of communication. So your landline, if you still have one, uh, television, radio, and if you're lucky, uh, if power's still there and uh you know, Wi-Fi, et cetera, you can get on the internet. But you're right, phones could be could be knocked out as a, as a result of the process. What, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us who didn't experience this may have a hard time understanding just how fearful that these people uh, might have been. Uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, as far as what it would have been like there on the ground in Hawaii when people start getting these messages and you see people running through parking lots. And that's where it sounds like, uh, if I'm reading correctly and seeing the images I did, that, that there was that uh, sense of anxiety. And, you know, I, I won't use the word panic necessarily because I, I wasn't there. But if that sets in, that's obviously not a good thing. And that's where um, leadership at a local level needs to attempt to step up as much as possible. And that's not to say they did or didn't. I wasn't there. But in any case, that's where you're looking at your police force to uh, provide guidance and information. You're looking for information to come from as many trusted sources as possible. Your municipal leadership will be trying to get ahead of it as much as possible to help people feel a little more 
uh, under control of the situation because that's what that's where the panic is coming from. They have no sense of control. They might not know what to do, and they're a bit overwhelmed by the anxiety. So giving them some side of lifeline, and which we find in our case a lot of times is just information. Tell them what's happening. Um, not necessarily that everything's going to be okay, but this is what's happening. This is what you can do to help yourself. This is what's going to be happening next, and this is where you can get more information. Uh, we're, we're talking about what we can do as individuals to be prepared uh, as families, uh, kits, safety kits, survival kits, what have you, uh, if something like this does happen, whether it's natural or, or not. Um, are, are, are you convinced that government is prepared for something like this uh, as far as lines of communication and, and whatever is needed to, to spread the message? Sure, I certainly can't speak on behalf of government authorities. We work very closely with them in, in these types of situations and during preparedness. What I can say, uh, I've had the fortune of working municipally, provincially, and federally, is that they have systems in place for um, making sure when events happen that they're ready to push out messaging, that they're ready to push out assistance, and to do so on an immediate basis. For example, they at, at, the, at the city level, there in Hamilton, for example, your emergency operations center will have staff monitoring things 247. They will be able to react. Um, of course, what's important with that is making sure that emergency managers and their teams can connect with local authorities, i.e. councillors and mayors, to make sure that they can get the messaging pushed out quickly. But, uh, you know, it's mandated to have a plan. It's mandated to practice that plan. And that is done, uh, from my experience, I've seen that happen municipally, provincially, and federally. Uh, Jeff, are you surprised as as a person who does what you do? Are you surprised that this happened? Um, I, I remember when you know we first you know ventured down this road uh, with new uh, digital technology, and we were all sitting in our house one day, and all of a sudden the TV went nuts, and the red thing flashed across it, and there was this incredibly loud alarm, and 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 there was lots of chatter, like what the heck's going on? And I believe it might, it might have been for a missing persons. Uh, announcement. Uh, You know, obviously at that point, and and this was just like in the last year or two, um, you know, we were testing these new systems and such. Are are the bugs worked out of these, do you feel? Do you feel confident with these systems? Well, um, I've sort of lost track of what I was going to say, but in terms of the systems I've worked with, um, am I surprised that something like this happened? No, um, but that's not to say I don't have confidence in the systems that are out there. Yeah. Um, in this case here, what happened was it was a human error. And maybe some of the system wasn't perhaps optimally designed, in other words, having enough redundancies to make sure it happened. But as with new technology, there are things that have to get worked out. But in the kind of messaging systems that I've seen, there's extensive trial periods, there's extensive testing periods, and in some cases where they're fortunate and able to, they'll do live kinds of drills. But when you factor in uh, human potential for error, potential system errors, potential technological errors, am I surprised? Holy no. But what you can hope from this, if if you do want to look at a bit of a silver lining, is that uh, we could all learn from what happened in this situation and apply that uh, wherever we are. I guess at the end of the day, it's better to have a false alarm than uh, missing uh, the th- you know a real threat of some sort. Yeah, and I do I do deeply empathize with the, the folks there that must have had to endure this and had uh, whatever random thoughts going through their minds in the absence of whatever perceived information uh, they had or, or lack thereof. Uh, but you're right. If you're going to look at this, like I said, with a bit of a silver lining, maybe we can all learn from this 
uh, maybe we can all, you know, just take a little bit of stock here and understand that, right, we, we should all try and be pre- as prepared as possible. All right, Jeff. So if people want to find out more about this sort of thing and, and what they need in a kit and, uh, and and what they need to do as a family to be ready, talk about the website where we can go and find this information. Great. Very straightforward. You just have to go to redcross.ca, multiple links under In Your Community and How We Help. We have uh, multiple links and documents where you can pull out things like how to build a kit, how to build a plan, and specific guidance for specific types of events, say hurricanes, uh, earthquakes, forest fires, and the like. And I guess, you know, what happened in Hawaii, certainly an anomaly, but man, with wacky weather that we were receiving, I mean, that's obviously where you should really be thinking about this sort of thing, correct? Yeah, as we've noticed in the past uh, 10, 100 years, um, there are more disasters trending and happening worldwide. I mean, by disasters, I mean larger scale events like forest fires and, and floods and the such. Uh, and this is not just due to reporting and media availability. So it kind of behooves us to make sure we're as ready as possible. Jeff Gill has been with us, Deputy Director, Systems Readiness, Disaster Management, Red Cross Canada. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to join us. Appreciate this. Thanks for having me, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Today marks Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the United States, also 50 years since his assassination. You know, we'd like to think that things have moved forward since then, although when you think of the last year and uh, and, and the, the divisiveness that we see uh, in the world, certainly in the United States, uh, you wonder why you wonder if we're moving forward or moving backwards. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Gary Warner, associate professor, retired McMaster University. He is with us now. Uh, Gary, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. It's my pleasure. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting when uh, we hear of all that was and has been accomplished with the civil rights movement since the 1960s and such. Uh, we would like to think that we're moving forward. That being said, when you think about what's been happening in the last year, are we in fact moving forward or are we moving backwards? Well, I wouldn't say that we are, we are moving backwards, but um, the, the essence of the, if you like, the struggle for equality of all peoples um, in, the, in the United States, as in Canada for that matter, um, that struggle is, is ongoing. Um, it, I guess one of the ways that you, you, we recognize that it's ongoing, one of the sort of the really striking ways, is we look both in Canada and in the United States at the composition of the prison population. And what you will find is that, is that um, in the United States, it is certainly um, the, uh, imprisonment is, is, has been called, is, is being used actually as a manifestation of a deep system of inequality that exists. And we have some of the same issues in, in Canada. Again, if I take that example, the, the, you will find that there are the native people and and uh, and people of African um, descent are the ones people for the most part in, in a disproportionate numbers um, the prison system. So are we are we moving forward? Um, um, certainly, um, you can you can say that. Well, who would have believed that um, that uh, Obama, you know, um, would have become president? He did. But we are by no means in a post-racial um, um, situation. So um, my conclusion is that oh, about the, the celebration of Martin Luther King Day today is that there is a, there's a shadow over the celebration. Whereas we, we, we celebrate the, the example of King, 
as we celebrate the example of Mandela and Gandhi and others, we celebrate the, the example. It's an aspiration of the kind of world that we can build. Um, but um, And we celebrate the fact that the, the mother of the king, um, he wasn't the only one, but he was a, a, a remarkable leader and he was a man of action. So, so these are examples for us, and that is what we celebrate, the example, but, but it is overshadowed to some extent by what we are um, living. I mean, more recently, of course, that, that comment about, you know, like Haiti and the, mm-hmm. I, I won't repeat it. Um, um, it, 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 it actually is a very meaningful statement, and it tells you a lot about, um, about uh, a really deep-seated um, and deeply entrenched um, sense of, uh, of, uh, of, a, of a racial hierarchy, if you like. Uh, what can we learn? You brought up uh, Trump's statement in, in what he made reference to, to uh, those country and the, those countries and the people in them. What can we learn from those comments? I mean, clearly, as you mentioned, we've made progress. But is this just all simmering under the surface? Because it certainly appears so with comments like this. Yeah, it is. It is um, simmering under the surface. It sort of peeps out from 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 time to time. Um, I mean, I think if you look at the the history of of, uh, of of what was the desired immigration to the United States, and it was true for Canada as well, um, you had this um, image that you wanted, you know, Caucasian, Nordic, etc. So it's not accidental that he he referred to to to, to people from Norway. Right? Mm. Uh, that's not accidental. So again, um, I think it's it's just uh, um, it, it's um, come to the surface. But uh, but it's uh, no. You when I say this, I mean what I'm what I'm referring to really is is, is um, I mean there are lots of very good people. There are lots of people open-minded, inclusive, and so forth. Um, but if we look at uh, at a systemic level, um, we we know that there are there are issues. Um, and, w- and what Trump's statement points to is, if you like, um, it's, it's really a recognition of the inequalities that, that exist right, in the world. Um, um, it's, it's, a, it's a way of pointing, I think, um, to, to, to this uh, global um, um, inequality that has been uh, increasing at, an, you know, at, a, at a terrible, terrible pace that we see you know, um, within our own community, um, in terms of the, the the percentage of people living in poverty, um, and we see it in in the, in the relative um, uh, prosperity, if you like, of of different countries and of different uh, groups within different countries. Was this always there, as you mentioned, under the surface? Uh, has Donald Trump given us now permission? To bring this out, has he now given us permission to be divisive and to speak like him? I think he definitely has. He definitely has. So that, uh, so, um, so that, it, so that I think a lot of groups uh, um, who are nativist uh, groups, uh, um, uh, supremacist groups, have been have, have definitely been been emboldened by by his words. Uh, and therefore, what that means is that. Uh, that, and as we think of Martin Luther King, it, it means that we all have to um, like King to respond um, because he responded with nonviolence, and I think that is very important. And, it is, and what is important as we respond is to make sure that we do not fall into the trap of hatred, uh, because uh, um, that's the wrong way to go. Um, we 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 can. Um, 
be vigilant and we can um, take action, we can uh, mobilize, etc. But, um, but always in a context of, of, of recognizing a, that, uh, that there are lots of good people around and we have to, we have to all the good people have to, have to come together. Um, Dr. Gary Warner is with us, retired associate professor at McMaster University. Gary, is this the reaction? You were talking about Barack Obama being elected earlier. Is this the reaction to him being elected and serving his term? Is this the pendulum swinging back? Uh, well, I mean, there, there is uh, there there is something so striking in the in the way that uh, that uh, uh, it's it's like knocking down statues, uh, knocking down everything that Obama tried to do. Um, um, so I, I I think that part of this, I mean, it's a bigger issue, but part of this is is really a, a, a reaction to to having this African-American as the president of the United States. But that is not the whole story. Um, obviously, I mean, it is true that there are a lot of people who have been, who, 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 felt, who felt left out. Uh, I mean, that, that is true. The, the issues of, uh, of inequality, all of that, all of that is true. Um, uh, but, but a part of that picture is definitely uh, a response to, um, to having had um, uh, Obama as the president of the United States. Um, and, re- and, and removing whatever legacy that uh, yeah. attached to his name is really seems to be an important part of the Trump agenda. It, it almost seems as if the president is, you know, he, he's very evident about ad- identifying an enemy and then chastising them. Like the, it's either this way or that way. And it just continually is to be condemnation of the other side. Um, that is yes, that, that is true, and I think, and of course, and one of the things is, is that um, there are sort of two tracks to the to the things that are happening. On the one hand, there are all the outrageous statements that are being made, but uh, I think more ominous um, um, uh, is uh, is if you if you look at a lot of the policies that are being implemented, um, they are uh, destroying environmental protection. They are. Um, uh, Increasing the, op- the opportunities for for, for wealth um, growth among the wealthiest parts of the population. They are depriving uh, people of of, of health care benefits. So there are a number of really, um, and, and we tend to not focus as much on those things as on the divisiveness, if you like. Um, I guess I would also I'm very struck by you know having um, just seen the movie The Post. Mm. I'm very very struck by. How uh, we see um, the media um, uh, being um, uh, attacked, you know, in a, in a way to, to, that um, we don't know what's true anymore. Um, so everything now, every, every everything is fake. True, everything is 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 is, uh, is suspect, and um, and and uh, and that is that is very dangerous. It's very dangerous when when we when we cannot uh, uh, identify what is the reality. Mm that we are looking at and that we are discussing. It, uh, it certainly seems that opinion has now become fact, and if you say it loud and long enough, that it does become fact. Uh, well, what, do you, what do you think Martin Luther King Jr. would say for all of the, if this was, if he was alive today? What do you think he would say? Well, what would he say? He, what he would say to, to all of that is that, is that we have to go back to, uh, to the basic principle of the, that all human beings are equal, 
that we are related. We we are we we are in a relationship with each other. We are we are we are connected to each other. It's and that we and that um, that any injustice um, uh, to an, anywhere uh, is is a threat to everyone. As we said, I guess in the case of uh, in the case of Hamilton and the, and the issues that we had is a, an attack against one is an is, a, is an attack against all. So I think that what Martin Luther King would say is that, is that uh, what we are all um, uh, should be engaged in is, is really building inclusive communities where we where we build bridges to each other and not walls. And part of building bridges to each other involves um, a basis for interaction. And, one of, and if, you can't, if you cannot identify um, if, uh, what reality is, then it is very difficult to have a, a basis for interaction with each other in the, in the spirit of, uh, as I said, of community building and, uh, and, 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 um, and building, yes, building community. Uh, obviously, Barack Obama uh, would bring people together and, of course, mobilize the African-American vote. Uh, that voter stayed home uh, when it was time to vote for Hillary. Uh, many say that was perhaps one, one of the reasons that, that Donald Trump was elected. Uh, she couldn't mobilize the black vote the way Barack did. Will that change next election? I suspect that uh, that, uh, that the people will uh, will see the consequences of uh, of having stayed home, um, and I, I, I would expect that that would change. But of course, I, I'm not. Uh, I can't predict the future. What What advice do you have for people who perhaps weren't around during the first civil rights movement? Who perhaps weren't around and 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 know the struggles that we went through in the 60s and 70s, uh, specifically, you know, the African-American uh, and Canadian communities, um, it seems that all of that has been lost. Uh, is it? Is, is, that, is that being uh, too critical? And, 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 and what advice do you have for those that didn't go through this the first time? So my ad- advice is um, be engaged in your community. One of the things that I do is citizenship ceremonies, and that's one of the sentences that I use, which is that is that is that to be a to be a citizen means that you become engaged. Um, so you become engaged in very in many many different ways. I mean, so, uh, you can become engaged, you know, by 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 helping out in your in your community, even working in your children's schools. But you also do so by doing um, getting involved in social justice issues issues by. Uh, and I think we all have a responsibility to 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 understand our, to what I, to do social analysis and to understand how our our society is um, is, is functioning. What are the um, what are the issues that exist? And it's up to us. Uh, we can't do everything, but um, I think that the key is that as a, that every that as a citizen, we have a responsibility to become involved, be it in environmental issues, be it in issues around poverty, be it uh, um, in issues around you know f- uh, fair fair wages, uh, um, uh, uh, disability rights, and so forth. Um, so um, it, it seems to me. That 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 uh, that our response is not to go back and live the issues of 50 years ago, but in in the present, in our own lives, 
um, uh, choosing the areas in which we can personally um, become um, involved and try to make a difference through the through the, the things that we do with those issues. Um, and that, I think, is the, is the best way to follow the example of, of Martin Luther King Jr., um, because he was not just a man of words. He was a man um, who cared about building what he called the beloved community, and um, he was a man of action. So we all so that the acts so that I think that we are all called um, to, to 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 become in, engaged in our communities and helping to make our communities better places for all of us to live. Dr. Gary Warner has been with us, retired associate professor, McMaster University, marking of of course uh, Martin Luther King Day and the 50th anniversary of the assassination. Doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. No, uh, I guess no surprise with distracted driving. Um, You know, the the device has pretty much taken over our lives, uh, even unfortunately when we get behind the wheel of a car. I was was in, in a parking lot just yesterday. And I was pulling in, and a lady was pulling out. And while she was pulling out, you could plainly see she was looking at her device. So not only is she driving, but she's, you know, exiting a parking lot and going out into traffic while doing this. And I'm just, I'm shaking my head. I'm thinking, my goodness, can have we not got the message here? Uh, and obviously, uh, we haven't. So uh, it looks like uh, new rules, uh, new charges, new penalties coming for uh, if you are, of course, convicted of distra- uh, distracted driving, are about to uh, hit Ontario roads. Uh, they have received royal assent. So let's talk more about this with Traffic Services Media Officer, uh, Toronto Police Traffic, uh, Clint Stibby. He is with us now. Clint, thanks for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this. Thanks for having me. So, Clint, uh, where are we with the new distracted driving laws? Uh, first, let's start with when will they get here? So that decision will be made by the government as a suitable time to introduce it to the public. Uh, I have heard some dates uh, bounced around. I have not gotten a confirmation myself as of yet. Uh, but suffice to say, um, I'm going to say uh, in the near future, uh, we will see this legislation become uh, enacted. And uh, obviously drivers that will now have to answer for their crime. So what are these new charges? What After these laws are passed, what happens if you get uh, pulled over and caught distracted driving? So it's not necessarily at the roadside that you're going to have the big issue. It's actually if you end up going to court uh, or are found guilty. So whether by trial or you plead guilty, um, if you are convicted of the offense of driving uh, while using a handheld communication device or driving while uh, viewing a display screen, that would include something like, say, an e-book uh, or like a Kindle-type device or something to that effect, or perhaps even an iPad uh, that doesn't actually have telecommunication ability, uh, you would be looking at... Uh, the first offense of $500 to $1,000 fine, so it's a three-day license suspension. Uh, the second offense would be... Uh, so first, first offense, a three-day driving expense. Uh, um, uh, you lose your license for three days if you're first time caught. Uh, if you're first time convicted. Right, sorry. So Yeah, so uh, the second time you'll be looking at uh, a $500 to $2,000 fine with a seven-day suspension. And the third time would be... Uh, Five hundred to three thousand dollar fine with a thirty day suspension. So uh, this is mirroring very similarly the um, the graduated licensing type offenses for somebody that maybe has consumed some alcohol while being a novice driver. The three, seven, or thirty day suspension 
uh, in their case, uh, with any alcohol component, it's a roadside suspension, where in this particular case, uh, it is uh, a suspension by the registrar through the court. So, uh, so obviously, at the roadside, what does this mean as far as changes at the roadside when you pull them over? Well, currently, the, uh, the fine at the roadside is $400 plus surcharges makes $490. Right. The old fine structure uh, provided for $300 to $1,000 fine. So, and that's the minimum uh, should it go to court. There is what's called an out-of-court settlement, and that's um, the Ontario Court of Justice has to decide uh, if you're at the roadside, what would be a reasonable fine uh, that they would assign to this particular offense. So they'll take into a number of different uh, things into consideration to decide what that is, and they'll come up with a final figure as to whatever that number will be. Uh, will obviously fall anywhere between the $500 and $1,000 fine for the first offense. Or sorry, uh, yes, yeah, sorry, $500 and $1,000 fine. So we need to keep in mind that uh, that has not yet been set in stone. That will, obviously, as the time uh, moves forward, we will get further information in regards to that. But the reality is, uh, if you are convicted, there's no amount of money you can pay. There's uh, nothing you can do. You will get that license suspension. Um, short of basically winning uh, a trial at court, uh, you basically are on the hook. Even if you plead out to something with maybe a, a lower monetary penalty, uh, even say half uh, of what the existing case value of that ticket is, it's not going to help you when it comes down to your license suspension because on top of that, you're actually going to have a, a license reinstatement fee as well that you're going to have to pay on top. So it's a fine on top of an administrative penalty as well. But as it stands with this new law, if convicted, you you will or you can lose your license, or sorry, your, the use of your car for three days. So just so we're clear, it is license-related uh, only, not vehicle impoundment. So okay. it is, if you are convicted, you shall have your license suspended for either, either three days seven or 30 days. Wow. And, and so the, but the, uh, as far as taking the car, that's, that's a different scenario. Yes. That doesn't apply in this particular case. Right. Uh, usually that only is reserved for stunt driving type offenses, right. uh, impaired driving related uh, offenses, or perhaps somebody that's uh, been convicted of an impaired driving related uh, criminal offense and is then caught driving a motor vehicle while suspended under that criminal suspension. So, Clint, I'm thinking, uh, as you mentioned, you know, fines didn't seem to be much of a deterrent. The fact that there's the chance of, of a license suspension, do you think that has teeth? Do you think that'll go somewhere? Um, I think uh, it's a bit of a wake-up call for the general public. Uh, they have to realize that there are consequences, but unfortunately most individuals think, what's well, not going to happen to me? I, I, honestly, I've seen a person reading a book uh, while driving. They've got the, it was a, I think it was a Kindle, hmm. on the steering wheel, center of the steering wheel, full-on reading a book while they're driving. I mean, you've got to be wow. kidding me. That type of uh, behavior behind the wheel of a motor vehicle, essentially that vehicle becomes a missile, and if you're not focused on the task at hand, whether it's you hitting a pothole, some ice, uh, maybe there's a sudden uh, stop of traffic ahead of you, you looking at a book are not going to know what's happening around you, and you could, in fact, kill somebody. But the reality is a lot of people don't think that applies to them, don't think it's going to happen to them. But the reality is, yeah, maybe, maybe you won't die, but you might kill somebody else. Hmm. And this is, whether it's a pedestrian, a cyclist, or another uh, vehicle operator, such as a, a driver of a car or passenger even, uh, you have to realize that, uh, yeah, in some cases you may not get hurt, but what about all those other people that you may actually hurt or kill? How difficult will this be to prove? What does the officer have to do at the roadside to make sure he gets a conviction here, or she? Well, we have to obviously observe the individual using the device. Uh, if we observe the individual using the device and the device is capable of transmitting a telecommunications-type signal, then uh, obviously there, that part of the legislation is addressed through the uh, drive uh, vehicle with uh, handheld communication device. Uh, if it's a display screen, again, if I see you using an iPad or a Kindle, 
I just have to see you using it. Uh, and then we have to obviously make our case to the court, and the, in the end, it's up to the justice of the peace to decide if we've proved our case beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, or uh, if we haven't. And if that's the case, then obviously the chips will fall where they may, and then if we get the convictions or we don't, uh, I would suggest uh, the hard line from the uh, courts currently is there is no plea. You will take a, uh, a conviction at the existing charge. Uh, they may exercise some discretion regarding the monetary penalty, but that's up to the justice of the peace. Hmm. Uh, and even then, they are bound by the amounts that uh, as a minimum and maximum for that particular offense. So the reality is it's going to cost more. Uh, what we don't want to see is it costing lives. And by introducing this type of legislation and uh, making everybody more accountable, I think we'll in the end save lives. Clint, where do you draw the line here? Uh, Hands-free, GPS, what can and cannot be done? Because you see some vehicles with GPS screens, the old style, still in them. What, what's considered a distraction, what's not? Well, really, actually, distraction makes up a number of different things, but the legislation was only geared towards a device capable of telecommunications or a display screen, uh, which does not apply to a navigation device or um, any sort of controls that monitor or control the vehicle, basically things that are built in. Uh, even if a person has an old-style navigation device, the idea is you set in the device before you start to drive and uh, that you don't touch it while you're driving. Uh, most of the new systems now, uh, as soon as you put it in drive or you're moving two or three, four kilometers per hour, it locks you out of uh, a majority of the interface so that you're not distracted uh, or that you move to a position that you are not hindering traffic or endangering yourself or others so you can modify or change perhaps your destination. But the reality is, when we look at the devices in the past, um, in most cases, uh, an individual that has a cell phone, let's say, and has a, uh, let's say a dash mount for the cell phone, a single button push, uh, whether it's to activate or um, uh, make a phone call or receive one, there's no problem there. But if you're actually having an interactive use of that device, say messaging, that sort of thing, uh, then we have to look at uh, what you were doing and determine whether or not you meet the criteria for uh, using a display screen or you're actually using a handheld device. Mm -hmm. The reality is, depending on the situation that we're essentially confronted with, will depend on the charge that's most appropriate. What if uh, you're in your car and you're using the GPS on your phone and you take it and you sit it in the console or something? Is that still considered a device or would that be then, then a GPS device? If you're not holding it, yeah. and it is, let's say, a static uh, view, so we'll say a, a GPS-type interface, there's nothing wrong with that. The GPS devices are permitted to be used in the vehicle. Right. If you're holding it in your hand, looking at it, right. while you're driving down the road, using the GPS, or as I've even seen people holding, uh, holding the cell phone like a, a platter, talking on speakerphone, thinking that, well, I'm holding it in my hand, but not to my ear, it's not in the sense. Unfortunately, carrying it around like a cheese platter doesn't uh. make it any less uh, of an offense. Glenn Stibby has been with us, Traffic Service Media Officer, Toronto Police, uh, talking about the new rules that are going to come into effect uh, shortly in regard to distracted driving, uh, which could involve a license suspension. Clint, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. I just want to clarify, will include a license. Will include, so it is mandatory. So if you're convicted, you lose the license, uh, your license suspension will be three days. Uh, three, seven, or 30 days, depending All right. on how many times you committed that offense. There you go. So once convicted, uh, the license is gone for minimum three days. Clint, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Uh, so, yeah, you, you, you get caught. It goes to court. Uh, three-day license suspension. Not a roadside uh, vehicle uh, 
you know, where they take the vehicle. What the heck's the word I'm looking for? Um, but certainly uh, a, license, a loss of license once this all goes to court and there is a conven- uh, conviction. Let's bring in Lorraine Sommerfeld, auto writer, post media, mother load column in the spec, and of course host of the Lemonade Car, sh- uh, car Show. Lorraine, uh, we've talked about this. I know it's Monday. I'm having a hard yeah. time. Uh, impounded. That's what the word I was looking for. Go. Impound your car at the roadside. <laughs> Um, you're obviously happy to see these sorts of changes. Uh, you know, you get convicted uh, first time, three-day suspension. Well, it's about time they did something. I, I think they're going to find another hard um, bottom to this, though, where they won't get it. People aren't going to care. There's still going to be people that don't care, the same ones who will drink and drive. They don't care what the the punishment is. And Clint's covered off a lot. He's a friend of mine, actually. So I haul him on the show all the time because he's a by-the-book cop. And yeah. I tell you, if Clint Stibby pulls you over, you're done. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I went I went for a ride-along with Hamilton Police Service a couple of years back with uh, Constable Tom that was like that. And I remember one of the police chiefs saying, you'd give uh, a ticket to your mother, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. And he said, no, not to my mother, but I would yours. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Stibby's the same way. All right. So, uh, Will, do you think this... Do you think this will see a drop in these charges? Because, man, you see it everywhere. I mean, I saw it on the weekend with, as, as I was mentioning, I'm pulling into a parking lot, a lady's pulling out, and she's got the phone in her hand. Um, well, we don't seem to be seeing, uh, we got the message with seatbelts. Are we with this? Well, we have to get there. And I think it's a generational thing. And the seatbelt is the perfect analogy to use because now, like, I put my seatbelt on to back the car out of the driveway to move it around. Like, mm. it's instinct. And so we're talking about behavior. And they've tried carrot. They've tried to tell people why it's dangerous and why you shouldn't do it and don't let your kids do it. Finally, they're bringing in a big stick because you have to. And that roadside, or it's not roadside suspension, sorry, that's the uh, stunt driving that yeah. they did. People complained about that and said it was not you know, fair and it wasn't just for a cop to be able to do that. But I can tell people, when you get to court with this, it's not he said, she said, you against a cop. Yeah, because, we talked about that. I said, how are you going to yeah. prove this? It's like, no, don't worry about that. No, no, it's the same as if they know you've been smoking drugs uh, um, or snorting anything or whatever. The enforcement officers are trained, yeah. and their their word at our Supreme Court level is taken with a lot more salt than yours. Like, they yeah, believe yeah. them over you, so yeah. don't think you're going to talk your way out of it. But I wrote something a couple of weeks ago. What manufacturers have to do with all GPS systems, manufacturers are responsible for a lot of this, for yeah. putting a lot of crapping cars the car has to be in park you shouldn't be able to alter anything except volume and heat controls like anything on the nav system it, it shouldn't be operational unless you're in park not stopped at a light hmm. or not rolling at a couple kilometers an hour so it has to block it out and the handheld stuff i mean that's that's what this is going after that's the biggest one but i'm actually seeing in infotainment my favorite word scott infotainment systems that are worse. You can read tweets, you can read yeah. Facebook stuff. So we're even blurring the line between... And, know, and we've time. talked about this before, what the car company's responsibility is, <laughs> you know, because obviously yeah. it's now bringing your living room into your car. Yeah. Uh, so uh, do there need to be some sort of standardized laws that say, as you said, once the car is driving, you can't do this, you can do that? Well, I remember about eight or nine years ago, a lot of the systems, you could be jabbing away at that screen as you drove at 60 you know 60 kilometers an hour 100 kilometers an hour you could be changing stuff so they've you know put the boots to that which is good there's not a lot of them that'll still let you access them when you're moving but you can still access them if you're stopped like it's still in drive and that's a problem and i i I had a i think it was a subaru a few weeks ago and at a light a thing went the car ahead of you was moved it told me that the Mm. car ahead of you was moved Mm. and i thought 
that's for people who are looking down at their phone. Uh, well, you know what? I, somebody just sent a note very similar to that. This violation will become worse uh, once everyone gets automation uh, automation in their braking systems because yeah. the car is automatically going to stop within you within uh, as you approach another car. So where where does this mix? It? Like, uh, you know, once autonomous vehicles are in the mix, I mean, is a distract? Will this be like an archaic law? Well, no. And autonomous vehicles are. So far down the line, they can't even figure out how to make autonomous vehicles work with manned. Are you coming? Right are you now. kidding me? I just talked to an expert. They're anywhere from next yeah. year to twenty forty. It's like, can you narrow it down a bit between now and twenty forty? I'll put my me? chips on twenty forty. How's that? Yeah, really. It's, you know, and getting them by the time well I, by them. the time I'm ready to get an autonomous vehicle, I'll need one because they I won't have a license anymore. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, no, the autonomous stuff, and this is what bothers me: is a lot of features that are touted as safety are actually entertainment. And, you know, we have to be safe, but you should freeze me out of being able to do all this crap while I'm driving, not put in braking systems to protect me from being a fool. You know, and and we're blurring the line between this stuff and calling it infotainment makes people think that, you know, oh, well, it's got this, I should be allowed to do it. And so the manufacturers do have a role, but people, the other thing I want to say is if you're driving and your kids are in the car, ditch your phone. Set the example for those kids. kids. Well, kids plus phone, that equals hell. But, I mean, gee, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Your kids learn to drive from the time you got them buckled in a car seat, not when yeah. they're 16. They're yeah. watching you. So yeah. don't use your phone this way. Don't interact with your car in a dangerous way because they're watching. And kids think they're bulletproof. They start driving. It's like, well, dad does it. Mom does it. I can do it. Mm-hmm. I'm way better on my phone than mom. It's it's like, no, no, no. So set the example for the kids. Yeah, but it's not the phone that kills you. It's the car. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> what what the, you, we talked about roadside suspensions. Do you think they should have gone that far? Although, Hell, man, can you imagine what would have Hell happened? Yeah. There'd be like a million people standing in the street right now without a car. I think what they should do is take that phone and jump up and down on it and break it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Just drop it down the sewer. <laughs> drop it down the sewer. Yeah, I'm going to start running for office any minute now. No, but ser- <laughs> seriously, if they if they introduced a roadside suspension, it would be like, you know, if it started today at 9 a.m., it would be on the news by 6 o'clock tonight about all these people that don't have cars right now. See, part of the problem is everyone thinks it's the other guy. It's not me. Yeah. I can handle it. Yeah. I can drive really well. I can drive after nine beers. I, you know, people, it's always yeah. somebody else. And all I'm going to tell you, and Clint touched on this, Everyone's out there together. So even if you think you're okay, be an advocate of this kind of law because of the other idiots out there doing it. So if it's people that won't use winter tires, I'm a really careful driver. It's like, that's cool. But yeah. be in support of the laws that want them in place for everyone else. You know, if, if that's the only way to get you from here to there and you're thinking, then want everyone around you safe. But with, you know, with new drivers coming in that don't have the experience, I mean, and for older drivers, cars are so different. If your car is like six or seven years old, go get a new one now. You're going to go, what? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's nice. <laughs> I think uh, I'm getting used to it. You know, uh, we've got one listener, right? Autonomous vehicles, they're available now. Some already on the road. Oh, yeah, but the, um, there's categories by NHTSA, the um, Highway Traffic Safety Act in the U.S. and what they do, and we go by their ratings. And there's four levels of cars. And these are being tested. Yeah, and yeah. fully autonomous, which means it doesn't need a driver yeah. in that seat or to be cognizant of what's going on, is a level that yes, the tech is there and there's cars that can do this, yeah. but they can't 
say that you can do this on the road at this point. Well, they're just about to announce that in Ontario that yeah, they were yeah. going to allow the testing, but we're as far yeah. as consumers, we're not we're not even close yet. No, and and the problem is that what they're finding with the with the autonomous cars and with normal cars and drivers is human behavior is the biggest yeah. hurdle. And autonomous cars don't know what humans are going to do, and humans don't know what anything's going to do. The worst enemy. <laughs> All right, Lorraine Sommerfeld has been with his auto writer, Post Media, Motherload column in the spec, and host of the Chem- uh, Lemonade Car Show. What are you driving now? Um, I have a great big F-150. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's really cute. Nice. Oh, I wish I had more time. All right, uh, got to run. We'll chat about that later. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.